data infrastructure growth in Africa and where it can be in the next few years. Good morning Africa and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial and you can find me at Ruth Dong. Global data traffic has increased 1,000 times over the last 20 years. This explosion of data creates an ever-growing demand for data infrastructure. Effective and efficient management of modern data flows requires that there is access to modern data infrastructure at national and regional level. James Biorohanga of Raksa Uganda tackles the data infrastructure question in Africa. What is the current state of data infrastructure in Africa? Africa is a standalone continent. So we have the west and the east side. Uh, right now, the east side, I think we've got seven submarine cables and about seven or eight on the west side. Uh, we have about three under construction on both sides. So we will have about 10 submarine fiber cables running around Africa, which is quite a good place to start, right? Um, a huge amount of capacity uh, to be able to provide Africa with submarine cable protection for either breakout, um, the rest of the world, or actually moving data within Africa, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is that there's a need for a lot of inland cabling. Uh, there's been significant efforts from governments basically build what you would say backbone infrastructures. Every government has built one. Uh, different types of funding, some of it a little bit bootleg, but uh, generally um, there's been a huge amount of infra built first by the government, secondly by the telecom providers, the mobile network providers, predominantly for their own backhaul capacity that they own want to sell to you know, the open market. But now we're also starting to see just normal carriers coming in to build more fiber within. Uh, and also I've seen catalysts from like the OTTs, like the Facebook-sponsored projects or Google-sponsored projects, build more fiber. So basically the transport network, which is what you'd say the long-haul networks are beginning to grow. But just also think about the perspective that Africa is, is that we still have a lot of areas that are not even physically connected to the road or the grid. So fiber in those areas is not important, right? Because you can't actually use it, right? So what we're seeing is, Huge amounts of connectivity happening within the cities, uh, on the big urban areas, as well as on the coastlines. Um, be able to provide basically what you'd say, um, the dry and the wet segment, you know, connection. Um, then we're seeing fiber to the home explosions, people connecting high dwelling areas uh, because people are starting to work from home, starting to study from home. Uh, it's generally starting to spend more time at home, um, catalyzed by COVID, but also, you know, just the growth of this youth are uh, into family units. And of course, availability of online entertainment means that you can watch all your stuff on, 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 on over the internet. So there's a huge penetration of uh, fiber to the home that is starting to be seen. But of course, the bigger network is always still be on the wireless side. So more mobile network penetration across Africa is also basically increasing this. How does the colonial past of Africa affect data infrastructure growth on the continent? Much as Africa is like, you know, Anglo and Francophone and Arabic uh, as the biggest three groups, right? Which makes it very difficult for us to work with each other, unfortunately. Um, the Portuguese element is very small and the Spanish element is very small. But the, the, those three big blocks make it difficult. So you find that Africa is like three trading blocks. So it's like West Africa, um, which is the Francophone West Africa. Then you have the Arabic, the Arab League, which is basically the north of Sahara. And then you have the sub-Saharan Africa trying to trade with each other. 
um, with small, small elements, you know, well, the language is not that big an issue. And the Portuguese have to try and fit in, right? Because I think there's only like three or four countries that are predominantly Portuguese. Um, so that basically means that connectivity sometimes within African countries will be limited because there's, they, don't, they don't connect to each other, right? Uh, due to mostly the language barrier, the colonialism effect, right? Or colonization effect. So, we, so we're seeing um, a huge growth in mobile, a huge growth in user base. Um, we already discussed the ecosystem of mobile trade. And so technically we're seeing a growth on all the levels, the transport network, the access network, um, also growing. And then, of course, things like Wi-Fi becoming more popular because they give you a bit of, you know, uh, nomadic portability type behavior because it's cheaper and bigger bandwidth stuff like that. Um, so I, I, the way I see it is um, the whole of Africa is going to get, is going to get connected in the next five years. Um, I mean, give really you can give the old, the old facts of random, you know, the Turi forest in DRC might not be connected for a while, uh, or the middle of Sahara Desert, but all the urban and semi-urban areas are definitely going to get connected because the need for internet is not is no longer for just communication but also for trade, for education, for health. Um, and it's basically the lifestyle is on the handset. So there is a need for the capitalist, there's a need for the communist, and there's a need for the consumer to all basically be on the same. That was James Vyarhanga of Raxio Uganda. A quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. S&P Global Ratings upgraded Angola's long-term Foreign currency credit rating by one notch to B- from a triple C plus in February. The ratings agency maintained the outlook at stable. According to SNP, the government's reform programs, higher oil prices and debt relief have reduced immediate liquidity risks. SNP notes that the government has built a track record of fiscal prudence with primary surpluses averaging 6.5% of GDP over the past four years. The period coincided with the IMF program of 2018-2021, during which Luanda implemented several key reforms such as the exchange rate liberalization, the introduction of value-added tax and spending rationalization. Furthermore, the strengthening of the Kwanzaa exchange rate has reduced the ratio of public external debt to GDP as the majority of the debt is denominated in U.S. dollars. According to S&P, government debt fell sharply from a peak of 131% of GDP in 2020 to 75% of GDP in 2021. In Ghana, Moody announced a downgrade and the government is set to appeal. Moody's Investor Service announced its decision to downgrade Ghana's long-term sovereign credit rating by one notch from B3 to CAA1. Concurrently, the agency changed its outlook from negative to stable. This decision came three weeks after Fitch Ratings decided to downgrade Ghana from B to B- with a negative outlook. Like Fitch, Moody's attributes its downgrade to Ghana's deteriorating public debt situation. The agency noted that the country is facing difficulty in addressing liquidity and debt concerns, while poor revenue collection has limited budget flexibility and tight international funding conditions have forced governments to depend on costly debt with shorter maturity. In this regard, Moody's estimates 
estimates that interest payments will account for over 50% of fiscal revenue for the foreseeable future. Following the announcement, the Ghanaian government announced that it will appeal the downgrade, stating that Moody's omitted key data in its decision-making process. According to the country's finance ministry, the agency left out key material information from the assumptions driving some of Moody's forecasts and projections, such as the 2022 budget expenditure control measures, the 2022 upfront fiscal adjustments, and the inaccurate balance of payment statistics. The ministry went further, calling the downgrade as an institutionalized bias against African economies. In Namibia, private sector credit extension growth slowed in December, according to the latest Bank of Namibia's Money and Banking Statistics report. The PSE growth plodded along 1.2% year-on-year in December, down from 1.7% year-on-year recorded in November. Growth in total credit extended to businesses contracted by 0.1% year-on-year in December, compared with a growth of 0.6% year-on-year in November. The central bank ascribes the decrease to lower demand as well as repayments in mortgage loans and overdraft credit by corporates in the commercial services sector. Growth in credit extended households slowed to 2.1% year-on-year in December from 2.5% year-on-year in the previous month. The Bank of Namibia says the decrease was reflected across most categories. The stock of foreign exchange reserves rose to $2.79 billion at the end of December from $2.53 billion recorded at the end of November, mainly reflecting an increase in foreign asset swaps, according to the Bank of Namibia. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. And if you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website, that is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial. And you can find me at Withadome.